Welcome to Animals Today, your home for a serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner. You may have heard that recently the Los Angeles City Council voted unanimously to end the sale of fur products, including clothing and accessories. This ban will take effect in 2020, and similar bans have already been enacted in San Francisco and West Hollywood. So we're going to be speaking about the efforts to end fur as a product and all the horrific cruelty associated with its use with Ingrid Newkirk, president and co-founder of PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals. Welcome back to the show, Ingrid. Thank you, Laurie, very much. Ingrid, for many of our listeners, PETA has been around for their entire lifetimes, long before they were born. Tell us about PETA's earliest campaigns against fur. Well, the, believe it or not, was a time when no one thought that fur, wearing fur, buying fur, was an issue at all. Right. I grew up in an era where it was desirable to have a fur coat. It showed that you'd arrived, that you were someone. And I remember dressing up in my grandmother's fox fur stoles with the heads of the foxes and the feet of the foxes dangling off my shoulders and thought I looked great. Mm. And that is really how it was. Uh, I had a fur coat that I was very proud of when I was 19, and no one came up to me because there weren't any animal rights activists, and nobody knew where fur really came from. They hadn't thought about it. No one said, what are you thinking about? You care about animals and you're wearing that? So times changed, but they changed gradually, which I think people growing up or being young today would be amazed that it took so much work. You know, we first started, we called a meeting of many groups together and said, look at these pictures of animals in steel traps who are out there in the cold with their legs caught and the mother animals are actually chewing off their feet in some instances, the way that man who got caught under a boulder in the um, canyons had to cut off his own hand to escape or he would have died where he was. They know that. And the mother animals need to get back to their dens. They need to feed their infants. And so when they know there's nothing else they can do, they actually chew off their own limbs. <laughs> so they end up dying of gangrene and blood loss and infection and predation and so on. But the ones who don't, the trapper comes back and stands on their chests so as to compress their lungs, bludgeons them, shoots them in the head, all those kinds of things. And they may have been out there for days. So we took those photographs and we took the information and we did a massive mailing. It was before the internet. And we started showing those pictures and protesting outside first doors. And we were often arrested. We would block the door and say, don't come in here. Don't support this horrific cruelty to animals. We were dragged away. Mm. We had a thing called the crawl where we would cover our hands and our, ourselves with blood. It was fake blood, of course. Mm -hmm and crawl along the sidewalk to fashion shows to shame the models. And we would take over the runway sometimes. I mean, we did everything we could think of to draw attention to this hideous issue. And gradually, we had our stars appear, and I'd rather go naked than wear fur. And it captured the public attention. And so we eventually got to a point where we are now, with so many companies 
Gucci and Galliano and Donna Karen and Michael Kors and Donatella Versace and Diane von Furstenberg, all going for free. So that has happened. Yeah, it sure seems to me that the momentum to put an end to the fur industry is really building, especially in the past few years. Ingrid, who continues to buy fur products in the United States and around the world? Well, the most depressing thing is young people who should know better, I believe, but perhaps we've failed there, buying these jackets with fur trim. And The fur is usually coyote or even wolf sometimes. And so you see these Canada goose jackets, and I always urge everyone, just buck up your courage and say something. It can be very polite, but go up to somebody. I do if I ever see that Canada goose logo and say, excuse me, you may not know, but that piece of coyote comes from a coyote, a dog, basically, who's been caught in a steel trap and killed horrifically. So people can actually remove, if they've already bought a Canada goose jacket, they can remove that bit of horrible fur trim that once belonged to this beautiful animal, and they can give it to the Humane Society, to us, to a wildlife agency for orphaned uh, wildlife or something. But, yes, the fur trim... If you add it up, it's millions of millions of coyotes, also rabbit fur-lined gloves. And an irony there is that leather, as we showed in our expose from China, often comes from the little bits of leather for gloves and collars and uh, belts can come from dogs in China Mm. because they're not going to tell you that's dog leather so you never never know right but the other thing is forever 21 uh, they stopped using fur but they're using wool and most people don't even realize the cruelty that goes into wool they say oh but they just shear them don't they right and no if you see our footage of all the shearing sheds all over the world you'll see the, the absolute barbarous treatment of these gentle sheep. But, yep, Korea is a big buyer of fur uh, still. China is a problem, but China is a problem with many, many things to do with animals, I'm, I'm afraid to say. Yeah. But mostly it's, it's, it's out of the picture in most of Europe, and it's really nothing that most people in North America, South America, want. With all the videos and published descriptions available about the cruelty in raising and killing of animals on fur farms, one would hope that nobody with a heart would be willing to wear fur anymore. What continues to sustain this market? Well, you know, we recently won a case. Peter Germany won a case. Oh, excuse me, Peter France won a case where furriers just lie through their teeth and tell people, oh, this is sustainable, whatever that means, Mm -hmm. and this is non-endangered. Well, any individual who's killed for fur was obviously endangered. Um, And that it's humanely procured fur, which is complete rot. And so we recently won a case of calling out the furriers, taking them to task, and they were found to be falsely advertising. We also find that more and more of these little bits of fur in places, from cat toys to trim to the bubbles you see on woolly hats, that they're often sold as faux fur 
but they're actually real fur. And DNA testing shows that they've come from cats or rabbits or, or foxes or whatever they've come from, and that people have bought them under the illusion that they're fur. But you do see people having a blind spot sometimes, as with those fur-colored jackets. And I think it's because it's very hard. Unless you come to PETA.org or you look at one of our websites or somebody else's, um, the nightly news isn't going to show you the animals turning, turning round and round in those metal cages and going insane from confinement, desperate to get out, chewing at the bars to no avail, and having wounds that are never treated and being slopped full of, you know, innards of other animals to eat with the excreta piling up under their cages. Who's going to show you that right. if you look at CNN or you look at, you know, any, it's just not there. Our right. work as a charity is to try to combat these heavy profiteering industries to ask people, please do your activism work, leaflet, put things up on bulletin boards, use your social media to pass these around to unknowing people, and let's educate, 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 and kick fur over the edge. Let's look at the Los Angeles ban. What made that ban happen at this time? Well, you know, California is always a little bit ahead of everywhere else. And there are some progressive pieces of legislation like the bullhook ban that came out of there and the ban on breeding orcas at SeaWorld, although SeaWorld, unfortunately, still has orcas that they need to release to seaside sanctuaries. But those kinds of bits of legislation, they had a declawing of cat ban in uh, West Hollywood. So that's happening. And we were very active on that ban, uh, going to members of the council, going to members of the, of the uh, legislature. And um, there was an overwhelming support for banning it. It had come up long, long ago and was extremely controversial when it did. No one could believe that anybody would suggest a ban on fur. But times have changed because of agitation, because of activism, because of education. And so now the time was ripe, and uh, it, it really breezed through. We're speaking with Ingrid Newkirk from PETA. We're talking about fur. We have a lot more to cover, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. That is the sound of a dog whose vocal cords were cut just to stifle her voice. It's called devocalization, and it's done to cats as well. Devocalized animals rasp and wheeze, cough and gag for the rest of their lives. Some are rendered mute. And for what? So a commercial or hobby breeder can keep many animals without having to listen to them? So show dogs will be quiet during transit between shows or in the ring? So an irresponsible pet owner can leave a dog alone for hours every day? Animals Today says shame on anyone who would have a dog or cat devocalized and shame on the veterinarians who perform this unnecessary, inhumane surgery on them. Please speak out against devocalization of dogs and cats. Use your voice to protect theirs. This message is brought to you by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at AIanimals.org. That's AIanimals.org. You're listening to Animals Today, your home for serious talk about animals. I'm Dr. Lori Kirshner, host of the show. 
Join us each week as we explore animal welfare and animal rights issues, as well as fun pet topics with fascinating guests and experts. And if you don't catch the show live on your local radio station, you can listen two other ways by going to the Animals Today website, that's animalstodayradio.com, or as a podcast on iTunes. It's so easy to subscribe on iTunes, and when you do, each week, usually on Sunday, a fresh show will download right onto your device. I'm Dr. Lori Kirstar, and thanks for listening. Welcome back. We're speaking with Ingrid Newkirk about fur. Ingrid, as you mentioned, many of the world's top fashion designers and fashion houses have publicly stopped using fur. Michael Kors, Burberry, Versace, Armani. Um, Peter has a favorite brand, Costco Kirkland. No, just kidding there. Um, And many others. Of course, this doesn't happen overnight, but Give us a brief summary of what compelled the fashion industry to start turning away from fur. Well, you know, you hear of our more gimmicky and some would call outrageous actions that are used to just get people's attention to the issue, which is what you have to do these days. But we do a lot of work behind the scenes. And we've met with every single one of those companies. And we have sent every single one of our investigative videos Every time we've been inside a fur farm, a fur factory, a slaughterhouse, a place where they're raising animals for fur or killing them, um, from ostriches to alligators to foxes and you name it, we send it to the corporations, we meet with the heads of the corporations, and we just work on it. And what has been wonderful is PETA members and supporters have been gung-ho to weigh in. And so they have been bombarding the companies, and they've been talking to store managers, and they have been talking to their friends. So they came to a tipping point, really. And last year was it, when we sat down with Prada and all these other places and said, come on, the, the time is here. Now, I'll say this, Laurie, which is, to me, it's wonderful breakthrough in addition, is Diane von Furstenberg and Chanel, who are massive companies, listen to us on the fur front, and they have banned all fur. They're not going to do fur anymore. But they also watched our exposés from Zimbabwe with crocodiles being slaughtered for their uh, hide and with alligators in Texas being slaughtered for their skin and snakes in Thailand and other parts of Asia being nailed to a tree alive and then just Mm. cut down the middle or having a water pump put up inside them to blow up their skin so they were smooth. All these things. And they agreed, both Diane von Furstenberg and Chanel agreed, and they're the first two major houses, to not only reject all fur, but to reject all exotic skins. No belts, no shoes, no bags made of these poor animals. The editor of Vogue, Anna Wintour, where does she fit into the fur industry picture? <laughs> I'm sorry to laugh, but poor Anna. Um, you know, it's like Karl Lagerfeld. I think they are uh, people of the past. And she used to do everything in her power to keep the money pouring into Vogue in the United States by taking ads for the most outrageous uh, furs from all manner of animals. 
And even having models um, accepting ads where models are posing in, say, I'll, I'll just say leopard, but a leopard coat with a live leopard on a chain next to them. I mean, absolutely shameless, as, um. as is Karl Lagerfeld. He has a cat he likes, but he doesn't seem to be able to translate that into just being overall understanding of who animals are. Um, but their time has passed, really. Uh, nobody listens to them anymore. Good. And we have Vogue in other countries that will not take for ads. And the way the fashion industry is going now, you would look quite passe if you were still touting furs. But Anna used to accept all these free furs. We actually wrote to the IRS and said you need to tax uh, for them. But uh, no, that, that moment has passed. So right now, where is PETA focusing its efforts in the battle to end fur as a product, both here in North America and around the world? Well, the number one and two immediate targets are Canada goose. Mm-hmm. Um, and any jacket that has, uh, uh, they of course also have geese. We've investigated the terrible treatment of, of the geese whose feathers end up as line as filler in their jackets. Canada Goose and Forever 21 for wool. But we have a few holdouts we're working on. And we say the major thing is if anyone sees any fur on sale, on a rack, on a shelf, even in a thrift shop, you know, please say to people who manage those stores or go online and say, it's, it's just not acceptable anymore. Right. I mean, fur is like foie gras. Right. It um, was once a luxury. It's now recognized for being the product of extreme cruelty to animals, and cruelty to animals should not be on the table in 2019. It's a really great idea to encourage people to speak out. Absolutely. Now, as an alternative to fur, many designers are turning to various synthetic products under the designation faux fur. These products have been criticized as possibly not being environmentally friendly. To me, this claim seems ridiculous. What do you think? <laughs> well, you know, the fur industry and anybody who is using animal skins is going to cling to any argument they can get, but That's it doesn't right. hold water. I mean, yes, none of us should be using plastic bags and plastic straws. And if you can avoid synthetics, avoid them. But what we have now is the equation is wrong. Because if you factory farm animals for fur, which they do, you have to feed those animals. You have to uh, bring the food in from another place. You have to slaughter them. You have to treat them with mortants more from the French word for death. You have to treat them so they don't rot. I mean, you can't just wear an animal's skin. You have to slice off all the flesh, and then you add really environmentally devastating chemicals, a cocktail of maybe six to 20 chemicals to stop a decomposition and to preserve that hide, that fur, whatever it is. Then you have to process that. It, it, you're not going to take it straight off the animal's back, and there you are. You process it all, and then you transport it wherever it's going, and so on. So, but you know you don't have to have a synthetic. There are wonderful, fashionable, warm, great materials that are natural fibers that are now made in wonderful ways that make you look like a million bucks and keep you toasty. So don't need fur anyway. Okay, don't go away. More with Ingrid Newkirk right after the break. 
Every day in our community, countless animals are starved, beaten, and abused by people. And sadly, most of these cases go unreported, and the abusers get away with it. And in many cases, someone knew about the abuse, but did not report it. So if you see someone hurting an animal, or even if you just suspect something, call the police or animal control right away. Animal abuse does not just mean physically abusing an animal. Neglecting animals can be just as bad. So if you see your neighbor's dog being underfed, left without water, or tied up in the backyard without protection from the elements, it is important to report that too. In many cases, you don't even have to give your name, and your phone call may save an animal's life. Also, we know that many violent and abusive adults got their start by first abusing animals. It's true, people who harm animals often turn their violence against other people, and that is a cycle we need to break. Remember, animals can't speak out for themselves, so reporting animal abuse can save lives. This message is presented by Advancing the Interests of Animals. Visit them at www.aianimals.org. That's aianimals.org. Welcome back. Continuing our discussion with Ingrid Newkirk. The I'd rather go naked than wear fur campaign and the topless anti-fur protesters, these have been criticized as being exploitative of women. Now, I personally don't agree with that criticism because it implies these women are under a spell and can't think for themselves. Do these campaigns degrade or exploit women? Not in the least, because you just tell that to one of the women who has participated in it, and she'll be angry because she's her own person. Right. She makes her own decisions. She doesn't need someone to tell her to put her clothes back on, whether it's a man or a woman. That used to be the role of, you know, in the old days of a father or a brother or a boyfriend would say, you know, don't go out like that. If a woman wants to take all her clothes off and march down the street, she, that's her business. It's nobody else's. But I do think it's marvelous. I mean, we're not in Afghanistan, but I do think it's marvelous that we have um, women who are political about their bodies. Uh, they, they're putting their bodies to use because they know it's going to help others. And we've seen our I'd Rather Go Naked Fur campaign actually caught on in other ways, where other people started to do naked calendars for a cause. And you know, it's funny because no one's ever naked actually. I mean, they're always behind something, a banner or a chair or something. Right. You see more nudity on the beach, but if they want to be naked, they can. And actually, you know, I'm almost 70, and three years ago, I think it was, I hung stark naked from a meat hook in London in a, in a meat slaughterhouse to make the point that we're all the same under the skin. You know, you don't put clothes on pigs, and here I was hanging with these pigs. I didn't have any clothes on either. To me, it's my body, and if I want to make a point with it, I will, and I don't need someone telling me prudishly to put my clothes back on or saying I'm exploited. I have my own head, my own thoughts, and my own politics, and that's the way it is. (laughs) 
Ingrid, many people, perhaps they don't consider themselves animal activists, but they have decided to stop wearing and buying fur, but they still use leather and eat animals. What do you make of those individuals? What do you think goes on in their minds? Well, I was one of them, I have to say. Um, I grew up in a family we loved animals, always did, uh, abhorred cruelty of any kind, except any kind didn't occur to us that the meat, the flesh that we were eating every day came from the most horrendous cruelty in the world. Um, these poor animals, just miserable from the moment they're born, de-beaked, de-horned. In fact, there's a new de-horning video on our PETA.org site today. Mm. Um, all the things that happened to them, you know, being trucked. Nobody really talks about transport very much, but the fear they must have when, for the first time in their lives, they're loaded onto a vehicle and they're going down a highway and it's freezing. So nobody talked to us about that, and I didn't think about it and ate my way through the animal kingdom. And I had my first fur coat when I was 19, and I loved animals. But today, of course, we, those people whose eyes have been opened to the fact that you can go to a dog slaughterhouse in Taiwan, as I have, and you see the fear in the dog's eyes and the fact they're struggling not to go and be made into winter soup. You can go to a horse slaughterhouse and see the same thing. And you can go to a sheep or a pig or a beef, if you will, slaughterhouse, a cow or chicken slaughterhouse, and they're all the same. They're like us. They are us. They are crying out, and they are struggling, and they don't want to go. Most people are never going to see any of that, which is why we, who now have our eyes open and know what's going on, it's not good enough to change ourselves. We really must make it our business, uncomfortable or not, to get out there and speak to others, to show them what's going on, to post those videos, to offer cookbooks, recipes, food, take someone out to dinner and show them their first ever vegan meal, tell them about what animals go through to make a pair of shoes, to make a jacket, to make a meal, to be used in an experiment for a cosmetic. Tell them these things because otherwise someone had to tell us someone had to show us and we can't just let it stop with ourselves very well stated according to the fur information council of america in 2014 retail global sales for fur were 35.8 billion dollars and the industry employed more than 1 million people so now about five years later what's happening to the size of the industry is it shrinking it is shrinking. Certainly in the West, it's shrinking uh, drastically. And what you find, as I m mentioned before, is that people in the fur business are masking fur. They don't want it to look like an animal anymore. So they color fur and they put fur with polka dots to make fun parkas and so on. So it doesn't really look like that. Um, and fur now is devalued. It used to be extremely expensive. And now it's very cheap, which is why people are selling real fur as fake fur, because people want fake fur and they don't want the real stuff. So, yes, it's a devastated market, which is wonderful, and it needs to go all the way down into the ground and disappear. Ingrid, do you have any final thoughts or comments you want to share with our listeners? I would say this, Laurie, is that 
if you're shopping for any garment, for example, and it comes from an animal, just remember, please, that the animal never gave up their skin, their fur, their feathers voluntarily, their wool, nothing. They were treated badly. It's inevitable. You can see all the videos on our website. And in ways that you would never imagine a human being could inflict on a living being other than themselves. And it's just they were slaughtered for it or it was stolen from them. Don't go there. Buy something else. Wear something else. Set a good example because that's how we're kind to animals. Such great advice. Co-founder and president of PETA, Ingrid Newkirk, thank you for joining us again on Animals Today. Thank you, Laurie. Okay, that was really great. I'm so glad Ingrid could share that information with us. Now, back in 2015, the guest on Animals Today was Pierre Grabowski, Policy Enforcement Manager for the Humane Society of the United States Fur Free Campaign. Now, Pierre explained how garments, shoes, and handbags marked and advertised as being composed of synthetic materials may actually have animal fur or animal hair. And it's not uncommon for retailers to call or label something faux fur, and it's actually animal fur. That's obviously deceptive labeling, but that's what happens. You really can't trust labels. Or a garment might have fur, and perhaps it's not even labeled at all. Anyway, Pierre gave us a few really great tips or tests we can do to know exactly what you're buying and to distinguish animal fur from fake fur. So, of course, you can go to animalstodayradio.com, go to the archives page and listen to the interview yourself. But I thought I would summarize what he said here. First, look at the tips of the unknown fiber. If it's animal hair and it's not been sheared, it should taper to a fine point, like a cat's whisker or a sewing needle or a sharpened pencil. You obviously need good eyesight and good lighting if you're going to do it in the store. He explains that some hairs are so fine it's impossible to see with the naked eye, like chinchilla. But thicker hairs like coyote or raccoon dog, you should see clearly that if it tapers to a fine point, and if you see that, that's animal fur. Now, if you don't see that, if you don't see the taper to a fine point, then you don't know because it could have been sheared, and sheared mink is pretty common. He explains that fake fur is different types of extruded plastics, and during the extruding process, they just sheared straight across. So both fake fur and sheared real animal fur will look the same if it's cut straight across. So tips and tapering. That's it. That's animal fur. Now, if you don't see that, you don't see the tips, you don't see tapering, you got to do another step. And the second step is you want to look and see where the hairs are coming out of. Because animal fur is literally the animal skin with the furs still attached. So it should look just like someone's hairline, like your hairline. Or if you look at someone else's hairline, it looks like the hairs that are going into skin. And if you look close enough, you can actually see the pores. Fake fur is made like carpet. It has a mesh backing made of fabric and the tufts of the synthetic fibers are woven into that and then both ends stick out. So if you push the hairs apart and you're able to see skin, well that's animal fur. Or if you see a mesh or fiber backing, that's fake fur. 
Now, he goes on to say that it's not so easy to tell sometimes, especially if it's been dyed. When the hair is dyed, let's say dyed black, what that does is the hair absorbs the dye and so does the skin. So there's pretty much no contrast there. So it's hard to tell the material. Now, if you still can't tell, then you pop some stitches and turn it over and that will allow you to see the underside of the backing, whether it's skin or fiber. Obviously, it might be hard to pop some stitches right there in the store before purchasing the garment, but you know, it's your call. And it's not exactly fair for the customer to have to buy a piece of clothing to do this test to figure out exactly what you're buying if certain retailers are unwilling to stop misrepresenting animal fur as fake fur. Now, this third test you really can't get away with by doing it in the store and you already have to own the product. And that is you pluck a few of the fibers, hold the fibers with the tweezers, right? Hold them over a plate and away from anything flammable and light the fibers with a cigarette lighter because a cigarette lighter is odorless, unlike matches, and then blow it out and then smell it. And if it smells like burning human hair, that's real fur, that's animal hair. If it smells like a plastic and different plastics smell differently, that's fake fur. So I found this information extremely helpful and I thought you would too. Thanks, Pierre Grabowski. And thank you for tuning into Animals Today. We'll be right back. the Maui Whale Festival? No, no. Well, this is an annual event presented by Pacific Whale Foundation, and it occurs over the month of February. Maui's peak humpback whale season. There are many events and activities, each designed to build awareness and share our love of marine animals and their ocean habitat. So guess what, Peter? Uh, let me see. Tell me. Quiz time. Oh, boy. The largest animal ever to have lived on Earth, even larger than any of the dinosaurs is what? The largest is the blue whale? Yes. The biggest recorded blue whale. Listen to this. This is from uswhales.org. Biggest recorded blue whale was a female in the Antarctic Ocean that was 30 and a half meters long, as long as a Boeing 737 plane with an estimated weight of 144 tons. The tongue alone of a blue whale can weigh as much as an elephant and an entire football team could stand on it. That's good. I love these fun facts. <laughs> the heart of a blue whale is about the size of a VW Beetle car. Mm. The aorta of the blue whale, this is the major blood vessel for the heart, is big enough for a human child to crawl through. So there you go. That's your blue whale. Which whale has the biggest brain? Oh, I don't know. Yeah. Okay, it's the sperm whale. Has the heaviest brain in the animal kingdom, up to nine kilograms. The head also consists of a cavity large enough to park a car inside. Again, from uswhales.org. Have you heard of the spermaceti? Keep your mind clean now, Peter. Oh, uh, vaguely. Isn't that the? Doesn't that help in navigation or uh, focusing? acoustic signals or something like that? That is correct. And it's a yellowish wax found in the head cavities of the sperm whale. And whalers like to get their hands on this waxy substance, spermaceti. I bet. 
Okay, what I want to do now is back up a bit and just give a little overview of the classification of marine mammals, just so we're all on the same page, because it gets confusing. And some of the names we call these animals are used interchangeably. So cetaceans are marine mammals, which are the dolphins, whales, and porpoises, right? So the order is called cetacea, and within this order, there are two suborders. You have the baleen whales and the tooth whales. The tooth whales include the dolphins, porpoises, and the sperm whale. So technically, dolphins and porpoises are really whales. Yeah. So typically, it's really the size of the animals which determine what name we use for them. Longer than nine feet, usually considered whales. Less than nine feet, considered dolphins and porpoises. I should mention I got this from a great page called thought.com, which the author Jennifer Kennedy, she's an environmental educator who has more than 20 years of experience studying and educating the public about the oceans. And she does a great job of characterizing the differences between whales, dolphins, and porpoises, and also talking about the differences between baleen and tooth whales, which I'll talk about in a minute. Okay, so basically what we call whale or dolphin is really determined by their size. But the sweet looking bottlenose dolphins that look like they're smiling and mm -hmm. talking to you and they look so beautiful and swimming and jumping together in the water, like Flipper, right? Yep. Technically, they're classified with the whales. Right. Now, there are few differences between dolphins and porpoises, including dolphins generally have a very curved or hooked dorsal fin, while porpoises have a triangular dorsal fin. So going back to the similarities of all the cetaceans, cetaceans only live in the water. They are mammals and they're not fish. They breathe air into their lungs rather than getting oxygen from the water via the gills. So they need to get to the surface to get air to survive. And they give birth to live young and nurse them and their warm-blooded animals. So now let's talk about some differences between the two major whale groups. Remember, there are baleen whales and the tooth whales. And the tooth whales include the dolphins, porpoises, and the sperm whale. Baleen whales, these are whales that strain plankton using baleen plates. These are like comb-like structures made of keratin, and these plates hang down from their upper jaws, and the whales feed on smaller fish and plankton using this filtering system made up of hundreds of these baleen plates. Blue whale, the largest whale, fin whale, right whale, and humpback whale, these are all baleen whales. There are 12 species of baleen whales, actually, which live all over the world. And of course, some species of baleen whales are endangered because of hunting for their oil or they're injured by nets or boats or pollution. Remember, Peter, last week we talked about all the pollution found in the dead beached whales' stomachs, like yeah. plastic bags and straws and, and flip-flops and car parts. Now, toothed whales include all species of dolphins and porpoises, and the beluga whale is a toothed whale. They have teeth, not a baleen, and their prey include fish, seals, sea lion, or even other whales. And like baleen whales, many species of toothed whales are endangered. Here's a good quiz question for you, Peter. Orcas are whales true or false? Orcas are whales. Well, orcas are also called killer whales, and I think, okay. Orcas are dolphins? You explain this to me. I think orcas are dolphins and maybe whales too. So they are sometimes called killer whales 
and they're actually the world's largest dolphin. Mm. So again, technically, orcas are dolphins with an extra large body with the ability to hunt in the sea. And you can recognize them by their distinctive black and white colored bodies. Here's another question. Baleen whales have two of these and toothed whales have one of these. What is it? Stomach. Blow blow okay. Don't give me the multiple stomach. Deal. <laughs> so what is a blowhole? Blowhole is like a, where they exhale air. Yeah. It's a hole at the top of the cetacean's head through which the animal breathes air. It's really like a nostril. Does water spray oh, they out breathe. of a whale? So it's in and out out of that blowhole. Yeah. So does water spray out of a whale's blowhole? Oh, maybe a little gets spittled. Yes, maybe a little gets spittled, but technically the answer is false. Whales' lungs are connected to their nose, the blowhole, but not their mouth. They cannot blow water out of their blowhole. Some will start to exhale before they reach the surface, blowing through the water and causing like a visible spray. Okay, that's it. (laughs) The layer of fat under a whale's skin is called? Is blubber. Good. Is that like the real word? That is the real word. Which whale has the thickest blubber? I'll just tell you. Okay. The bowhead whale, which lives exclusively in the Arctic, has the thickest blubber of of all whales. It can reach up to 70 centimeters in thickness. Okay, Peter, we're almost done. Which is the most endangered whale? I'll answer this for you. Good. The North Atlantic and North Pacific right whales are among the most endangered of all whales. Only around 400 to 500 individuals currently exist, with fewer than 100 North Pacific right whales remaining. And finally, which whales are known as the canaries of the sea? Oh, come on. <laughs> okay. Because they make chirping sounds like little yellow birds, like they're singing. Oh, go ahead. Beluga whales. You're not even going to try, are you? No. Okay. So, Lori, thank you. That was pretty interesting. Maybe next time you'll uh, tell me to prepare for a quiz. You know, we really didn't talk much about whale conservation and how they're being really decimated. The Japanese are misbehaving. They've just bailed out of the IWC, so that's going to be trouble. Over the decades, they have been whaling under the pretense of research. That's now out the window. Of course, there's no real market for the product anymore. Most of it is just kept in freezers anyway. So what's the point? Yeah, it's really a shame what Japan is planning to do. Okay, thanks for being here with us today. This is Dr. Lori Kirshner encouraging you to nurture your love and compassion for the only other beings sharing our planet, the animals. 